A very good Sunday morning to each and every one of you. I'm glad you joined us here for our morning class at Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ, located at 2091 Pitts Lane here in Murfreesboro. We're studying the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be studying chapter 13 today. If you want to go ahead and take out your Bibles, we'll be turning to uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. We have on our webs, uh, webpage, the homepage rather, instructions uh, during this crisis, uh, this virus uh, problem, that if you'd like to come and worship with us, and we invite you uh, to do that. We would love to see you, love to meet you if you've never been before uh, to our congregation on Sunday morning, later on this morning at 1030. And then at uh, 7 on Wednesday evening, we have our midweek Bible study. And we'd love, again, as I said before, we'd love to see you, love to meet you, and love to encourage you uh, through God's Word and His worship and study. We're studying uh, spiritual gifts. This is part two, and we'll have a short review of last week's lesson before we get into chapter 13. So if you want to just kind of scan chapter 12 as we go through the review, if you weren't here with us last time, we're going to look at uh, this one uh, very big problem. Uh, not that the others weren't any less or more important. They were a series of things uh, that had caused the Christians who had been uh, taught by Paul for about a year and a half, he worked with them, uh, who had taught them and they had gotten away from the things that they had been taught. Uh, Paul had heard word that there were uh, difficult things such as incest, adultery, fornication, and other sexual sins going on, and not only going on, but being allowed to continue. Uh, he was alarmed at some of the other things he heard, and the Corinthians had written him a letter uh, back in verses 7, 8, and 9, uh, asking him questions about certain things, uh, eating meats that were sacrificed to idols, uh, stronger brother versus weaker brother uh, sins uh, of the conscience. And today, as we begin this uh, three-chapter study of chapters 12, 13, and 14, we continue with uh, the idea of these spiritual gifts that had been given to certain at the Church of Corinth, and rather than using them for what they had been given for, the confirmation of the gospel, the confirmation of the one bringing uh, the good news, uh, and the declaration of God's will. They had used them as uh, selfish toys, I, I sometimes say. Uh, they were using them as sources of arrogance, sources of pride, and we're going to look at that further uh, today. But in chapter 12, uh, from verses 1 through 11, Paul listed this variety of spiritual gifts, and there were nine of them. We looked at those, and uh, I won't uh, mention them again today. If you care to get the list of those nine spiritual gifts and uh, what their purpose was, uh, look down at the PowerPoint uh, slides tab, and you can click on that and get all the PowerPoint slides for uh, 1 Corinthians and other classes that other men have taught. So there was a variety of them, but they were all to be used in unison. 
uh, he talked about this unity of the various gifts, how they had to uh, work together because that's what God designed them for. For one purpose, though they were many, and I use the term even on our own coinage uh, here in the United States, we have e pluribus unum, out of many, one, and certainly out of these many uh, gifts rather than people, out of these gifts, there was a unity to be had for the purpose of declaring and confirming the gospel of Christ. He talked about love, which they lacked, and we're going to look at that uh, today in depth. Uh, he also uh, mentioned in uh, verses 1 through 13 the duration of these spiritual gifts in chapter 13 that we're going to discuss. Uh, they would not be forever. Uh, but yet they were hanging on to these as if they were a personal point of pride and ability, uh, a dominance over weaker brethren and those brethren who did not have spiritual gifts. And so that's our source of lesson today. But it was mentioned uh, uh, somewhat towards the end of the chapter that Paul would discuss these things. He also talked about the regulation of the use of these spiritual gifts. They were to be used decently and in order. And as we look at the church of Corinth, they were so far out of order, it must have been uh, uneasy for a visitor to walk into this congregation. And you uh, look at there's somebody over in the corner who's prophesying. There's someone over in the other corner who's uh, trying to outspeak him using these uh, gifts of foreign languages. Uh, there's another one in the back uh, who is uh, using knowledge and wisdom and uh, the other gifts, and they're trying to outdo the other ones. And so Paul talks about uh, this variety of spiritual gifts in chapter 12, goes through verse 11, and he's warning uh, the brethren there that they need to test these spiritual gifts. There are some who are maybe coming before them that have an ability, but they're not teaching the truth. Uh, you remember Moses confronted uh, Pharaoh's sorcerers with the gifts that God gave him to confirm that he was indeed from God. They lasted about two rounds, uh, and in both of those rounds, God won. And so here he was saying, you need to test these spiritual gifts. We mentioned uh, John, uh, who in his epistle said, uh, believe not every spirit, but test them, whether or not they are of God. And this is the same thing that Paul is telling them. But they also need to understand that though there's a variety of gifts, there are a lot of different uh, things that people are, are able to do in the worship and in uh, the preaching and spreading of the gospel, but they all come from one source. They come from God through the Holy Spirit, and they were given to them for one purpose, and that was uh, to make sure that everyone understands the one bringing the gospel is truly from God. You remember even back in Moses' day when God gave them the law, he gave them a test, and we read this in uh, last week's lesson in Deuteronomy, uh, where he talked about the uh, test of a dreamer or a prophet. He said, if it comes true, then uh, listen to him. But if he says, 
hey, let's go worship another God, one that we've never known before, and let's, let's uh, devote ourselves to him. God said he's not for me, and he was to be stoned. So it's important that even today, even though we don't have Holy Spirit gifts, that we confirm uh, the preacher or teacher who is before us uh, by reading along uh, in the scripture as he teaches and uh, confirming that he indeed does believe that Christ came in the flesh, that he teaches no other doctrine of man or angels or any uh, other source than God. And we looked at the nature of these gifts. They were extraordinary powers, certainly being able to heal the sick and uh, cast out demons and the other things uh, that they were able to do came from the grace of God. It was God's grace towards man that he wanted to ensure the purity, the sanctity, and the truth of the gospel was given to all men. And so for a short period of time, he gave men, uh, certain men, gifts uh, that would confirm uh, the power of God and his word. There was also an administration that was in these gifts, and that was there was to be service and ministry. There was not supposed to be any selfish uh, gain from these. There was not supposed to be any pride or bragging, but they were supposed to be service to others, ministering the word and the confirmation of the gospel. Finally, we talked about the operations of the spirit. They were given by God. It's a thing that God had wrought, a work that he had made and given to uh, man as a son. And uh, we also looked at the, the unity which they lacked of these various gifts. The gifts were given uh, in unity that one may preach the gospel and the word uh, in a language so that all would understand. There was the gift of the interpretation of these foreign language, which was given to help people to understand what was being spoken. There was also the gift uh, of prophecy and knowledge and wisdom and the other things. Well, they were all to work together to confirm the gospel, but to also spread the gospel. It was all for the glory of God the glory of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, certainly not any glory whatsoever for man. And so as we finish the chapter, the church was given an understanding of not only what these uh, gifts were, but how they were to be used. Clearly they weren't using them as had been intended and as such uh, worship was non-existent, true worship. Love of their brethren was not there. Uh, the same pride that was in the Lord's Supper and the denial of brethren in their petition uh, or participation in the Lord's Supper was not there. It was simply a congregation where you would uh, find very few people who would want to be a part of that congregation. It was as confused as any congregation uh, could be, simply because they lacked the one thing that they needed, and that was love. And we're going to talk about what kind of love that was that they needed. It's the same kind of love that the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 
uh, lacked. They didn't have a love for Christ, and they didn't have a love for their fellow brethren. So let's wade on into the class today. And always, if you have questions, uh, please uh, email me or let me know, uh, because I would not want to teach anything that's untrue, and I would want you to be encouraged if there's a point that you are confused about or there's something that you don't understand. I'll be happy to spend time and study with you and prayer. So as we look at uh, chapter 13, there are a lot of people who think that this is kind of a uh, disjointed chapter. It's separate from what is being talked about in chapter 12 and chapter 14, but it's not. It's a common chapter that many people memorize, that many people use at weddings and other events uh, in the world. There are many commentaries on what this and that means. And so uh, we're going to look at what Paul said today and what he meant. And I think it's very clear uh, as we go through the problems that he's having. We can look at this chapter on four different levels, and that's what we'll attempt to do today, is look at these four things that Paul mentions uh, in this chapter that pertain uh, to both the spiritual gifts and about love. And again, this love is about agape love towards each other and to God and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but it's the love that they lacked. It's the love... Uh, that was not evident in any of their spiritual gifts. And Paul said in verses one through three that unless you have love in uh, ministering these gifts, uh, in using them, they're worthless. It's just like uh, a symphony. When the conductor stands up and uh, they have practiced and all of a sudden uh, the trumpeter's got something he wants to add and uh, the percussion section, uh, they've got this nice little introduction they want to add, and everybody begins playing over each other. That's not a love for uh, your brethren, because there's no decency and there's no order there. How can one understand, listen, and hear with all of this noise that's going on? And so he says to them, if you don't have love, Whatever gift you have, and they put a lot of emphasis on this speaking in tongues or speaking in foreign languages. Uh, that was one of their favorites. No matter if you can speak, and Paul's going to say, no matter if you can speak with the tongues of angels or the language of angels, which is something humans can't do, it's worthless. <coughs> Secondly, he's going to describe what love is. And in this description of the character of love, it's going to show that it's far superior than any of the gifts that they have been uh, putting their uh, treasure in. You see, no matter what gift they had or were given, uh, it was not being done with love. And therefore, the effectiveness of these works was not uh, very good. Thirdly, he's going to talk in, in verses 8 through 13 about the duration of love. Love is going to last for an eternity, and it's far superior over any of the gifts that they've had. There 
intention here in, in having these gifts uh, is being misused so that the opposite, sort of an antichrist attitude is going on, that there are some brethren who are falling away, there's some weaker brethren who are getting weaker. Uh, there is no uh, worship of God, there's no benevolence being done or care for one another. And so uh, when we look at chapter 13, it's not some separate chapter. It's, it's very eloquent. Paul writes very well here. I wish I could write uh, as well as Paul, and, and some call it a hymn of love and, and poetry uh, that's just been inserted haphazardly here in Paul's letter. But it is intimately and importantly related to the problems at Corinth to have ever been a, a separate uh, part of, of the, the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, those of you this morning who are studying in King James, your uh, translations may, instead of love, have charity. When that was originally written, uh, certainly it meant love. It meant a love for uh, someone who maybe you knew or didn't know and you gave them hospitality or you attended to their needs. Uh, and that's where originally we got our word charity, but the word charity uh, in the English language and over the years has become something that uh, is very limited when we look at the meaning here uh, that was originally conveyed by uh, the King James translation in 1611 and later. Uh, but it's just not close enough to the word used here, which is agape. So. Let's begin with our first point. Without love, Paul says, these gifts are worthless. They're of no good. And so he refers to the highest expression of these miraculous gifts uh, and to the examples of sacrificial service to emphasize that without love, these are worthless. And we compare these to sometimes our measurement of ourselves. You know, there's a difference and how we measure ourselves and how God measures us. And I also, or I uh, often uh, tell people, God uh, looks at us and judges us and measures us uh, often far differently than we ever do. Uh, sometimes we're quick to pat ourselves on the back. Uh, but when we look at our service, we like to think we're doing good, but are we... Uh, do we have love when we provide hospitality, when we provide meals, when we provide food, uh, money, clothing, whatever we provide to someone in need? Is it done uh, for show? Is it done with the heart? Is it done with a love for our fellow man? It should be. How about our contributions on first day of the week? Do we struggle writing that check? Do we fret? as to whether or not we're going to have enough money left? Or do we have the attitude of the widow who cast in all she had and was considered by Christ as having given more than any of those before her who had ever had dropped money in that pot? And so he compares uh, some of the gifts here. He looks at tongues. Uh, first of all, again, we said this is the uh, ability without any formal training to speak in a foreign language, just as on Acts, uh, in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, 
everyone, and you read that long list of people who had various languages and dialects, it says that they heard in their own language. Well, that's what he's talking about here. It's the same thing. Paul looks at this idea of tongues. They had put a lot of importance in tongues. They looked at them as one of the gifts uh, of the highest degree. And as he looks uh, at this uh, ability, this gift, uh, he says, even if you could speak all the languages in the world, and I'd love to be able to do that, to preach in places where the gospel's needed, to preach where it's rarely heard, uh, to preach to people in need. But he says, even if you have the tongues of angels and you can speak the language of angels, which humans can't, even if you did that, it would be worthless. It would be clatter, clanging. Now, most of us enjoy good music. I, I enjoy uh, a good symphony. I, I'm prone to Strauss and Beethoven. Uh, I love easy listening and I like uh, pop and I like a variety of uh, earthly music and I love, I love spiritual music. Uh, but uh, it's not upsetting to my ears. When you think about a clashing cymbal or a banging, that's annoying. When your neighbor's taking your uh, taking his garbage out on Sunday afternoon while you're trying to take a nap and it rumbles and rocks and churns and this and that, sometimes it wake you up from your nap. Well, that's not pleasant. Well, it's not pleasant to hear someone speaking in a foreign language with no love. And even if you had that ability, if you didn't do it with the love of God and the love of the gospel, it would be worthless. And so next he looks at prophecy, faith, and uh, knowledge. These are things that, again, they held up as something uh, which was, in their minds, the very noblest. And they would stand in sections of the meeting place and they would speak and speak over one another. Uh, in verses 12, uh, 8 through 10, Paul talks about uh, these things. They're mentioned as being worthless without love. And he says, even if one should have the gift of prophecy. Now, the gift of prophecy was the ability to uh, talk about the gospel and tell of things that were mysteries or mysterion in the Greek, God's hidden purpose, uh, which was hidden uh, throughout all the years of the Old Testament. They look forward uh, to Christ's coming. They look forward to the kingdom being established, but it was still a mystery. It hadn't been revealed yet. Uh, so if someone had this ability uh, to know all the mysteries of God, all the mysteries uh, of the earth, or he says, if you had all the knowledge in the world, this miraculous gift of knowledge, but you didn't have love, well, it's going to be hard uh, for you to use that gift properly. It would be nothing. Furthermore, if he had faith, you know, in this faith we talked about last week when Jesus said, if you had the faith uh, of a mustard seed, uh, you could say to this mountain, uh, go over yonder, and it would happen. 
And we talked about how a little faith, the faith of a mustard seed that is so tiny starting out and grows into a large tree uh, that's able to nest birds and other things. Well, that's, uh, that's something that we would all love to have. But even if you did have that and they had this uh, sort of faith, it's nothing in the eyes of God and it's of no profit. It's of no good to ministering nor confirming. And so he says, thirdly, that even if you had this gift to bestow one's goods on the poor and you gave your body to be burned, that's nothing either. So even, you know, we look back in the book of Acts and there were people who sold all that they had and they sold their land and their possessions and they gave them to the needy. And that's wonderful. We read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament and Daniel, who were told that if they didn't fall down before this idol that uh, the king had put up, they would be put in a fiery furnace and roasted alive. <clears throat> but yet they said no. Their love was for God and for his commandments and their love for each other. I think there was a unity also in those three that they uh, would die in the Lord together because they serve the Lord together. And so even if we had this wonderful uh, act of benevolence within us and we had works that were uh, done which benefited so many people and we were willing to even give our lives for Christ, if we don't have the love for Christ, if we don't have the love for the word, if we don't have the love for our brother or our neighbor, it's nothing. And so we look at uh, the attributes of love. What makes us truly love? The attributes of love are about 15 uh, different characteristics. The first one is it suffers long. We talk about God being long suffering with us, and he is. He uh, hurts. <coughs> he grieves when we sin. He is touched with our weakness, and he suffers with us until we repent. And I have to look at my life of 70 years, almost, and God has suffered long with me. I am here teaching his word. I am here trying my best, not always succeeding, uh, to run this race. And God suffers long. But how long do we suffer with our brethren? When our brothers just aren't getting it. When our brothers and sisters just aren't uh, being as nice to us as we think we should be. Are we suffering long? Well, when we look at the superiority of love, uh, these love, uh, these attributes are very important both to God and to our uh, brethren. Well, when you look at the congregation there at Corinth, it didn't suffer long with uh, the, their brethren. It's it means actually from the Greek word to be uh, long tempered or, or having a control on your temper, uh, having discipline. Uh, you might look at that word there's it, it appears on the screen and it's the very opposite of 
short-tempered. Many of us are short-tempered. Sometimes, and I'm not proud to say this, uh, sometimes on occasions and in certain situations, I get a little short-tempered. And I have to ask God to please not let me sin. Yes, the Bible says get mad, but don't, don't get even. I'm sure there were a lot of problems, as I read and have read so far at the Church of Corinth, uh, that people were not suffering long with their brethren. I go back to chapter 7, 8, and 9 and uh, other uh, places, particularly with uh, uh, eating of meats and uh, worshiping in temples of idols uh, just to bring home some meat. Uh, I can understand uh, that the brethren were not being cared for. And there may have been some who got angry with their uh, brethren, and there may have been conflicts, and certainly... The reason for this letter is there were conflicts concerning eating of meats and, and uh, going into temples and other things. Uh, and so in using love, we're not talking about the spiritual gifts right now. We are, but we're concentrating on the love that has to go with it. It has to be patient. It has to be uh, long-suffering. It has to be gentle. And it has to be done with the love of the brethren and the love for the spread of the gospel. The second thing that Paul uh, reminds them about love is that it's kind. Uh, it, in the original Greek, it talks about uh, being able to show oneself as to be a mild or kind type of person. Are we a light in the world? You know, moths are attracted to light. And people are attracted to kind people, those who are uh, not angry all the time, those who are not quick-tempered, those who are uh, warm, those who are friendly. And we have to use this kindness, selfishness in no way that they were using, in no way exhibits any sort of kindness except to the person uh, who is intended for himself. This emphasizes, this word and this characteristics emphasizes that love is not caustic. It's not out to get people. It's not out to say unkind things to people or to see people who are uh, being weak and uh, causing them to struggle even more. Being kind is being that light bulb, being that beacon, being that searchlight that people see in the dark and are attracted to. Thirdly, uh, Paul says that love doesn't envy. What is envy? Well, we look at envy and that's, that can be a good thing or a bad thing in a good sense. Uh, it means to burn with zeal. Don't look at uh, what someone else has and they were looking at the gifts that other people had or maybe their uh, strength in the gospel. They were envying them. They wanted that. Uh, but in a bad sense, envy means to be moved with hatred, anger, maybe covetousness. And so love doesn't desire other people's things. But the church at Corinth did. They envied other people's spiritual gifts. And the tongue speakers wanted to be able to prophesy. And the prophesiers wanted to be able to uh, heal the sick. And, and uh, this one wanted that, that thing. 
Love doesn't envy. Love loves, and love suffers long, and love is kind, and love protects the other person. This fourth one is something that we have a difficulty with as humans. Doesn't vaunt itself, and that we could replace vaunt with uh, vaunt of not itself with brag. Doesn't brag. Love doesn't uh, boast about a person's ability, self person, uh, self ability rather. I'll get it right in a minute. It doesn't brag about how long I've been a Christian, or it doesn't brag about how much I know and how much you ought to know. Uh, some in Corinth were taking the gifts that they had, and they were bragging about them. And this bragging came in uh, the verbal boast of, uh, my gift is more important than yours, and uh, showing off the gift. You know, did you ever have something that, that you wanted to show off to people, maybe a new car or this or that? Love doesn't do that. Love respects you for you and esteems you more highly. And it's not puffed up. This word, uh, fuziu, uh, which is from the Greek, uh, talks, uh, talks about having an inflated ego, we might say. Uh, puffing ourselves up is simply inflating us and making us uh, feel and act more important than maybe we are. You know, this saying that we have the, the world's not about, it's not all about you and the world doesn't spin on your uh, getting up in the morning. Sometimes that's the attitude that we have and we ought not to have that as Christians. Uh, the scripture continually condemns bragging and, and uh, boasting and having this arrogant attitude that, that I'm better than you. My understanding of the Bible is better than yours. Uh, whatever things that we argue about. And there were some in the church at Corinth, again, uh, in speaking of love, we're talking about what they were missing, and we're talking about the spiritual gifts. Love was missing. Because with all the bragging, with all the boasting, with all the uh, self-importance in Corinth, nothing was getting done. Paul also says that love doesn't behave itself unseemly. And unseemly <coughs> may not be a word we use two or three times before breakfast, but it simply means something that's disgraceful, dishonorable, or maybe indecent. Love doesn't act that way. When we love each other, we're not rude. We're not arrogant. We don't have a conceited disposition. We don't forget to respect each other. We don't behave uh, so that we honor some and we don't honor others. Our God's not a respecter of persons, and certainly neither should we be. But love always conducts itself with a proper uh, decorum, proper attitude. Uh, and we see uh, here in this chapter, in chapter 12, and we're going to see in chapter 14, that the congregation at the church uh, there in Corinth uh, were rude. They interrupted uh, the uh, interpretation of language. They interrupted prophecies. They interrupted knowledge. They interrupted wisdom. They interrupted whoever was uh, speaking so that they were all speaking at once. And those orchestras that we 
uh, talked about before, uh, how suddenly everybody's playing their own music. And instead of Beethoven's fifth, it's Beethoven's sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, first, and uh, a little bit of Mozart here and, and uh, Schubert and, and uh, Strauss and, and others there. And when you put it all together, it's horrible. And it's a clanging noise. That's what our worship can become if we don't respect one another, if we don't respect uh, the teacher or the preacher or the elders or the deacons or the door opener or the greeter or the lowest one in our assembly. James talks a, a great deal about that. But love doesn't act that way. It doesn't seek her own. Love is not so self-centered that we just want to be around uh, people that think like us and do like us and we want to do uh, however we want. You remember in when we talked about eating of meats, Paul said, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And the word used there that we might think as uh, money or power is simply translated as welfare. We should care, and that's in chapter 10 and verse 24, we should care about our brother's well-being, spiritually and physically. How much time do we spend our with our brethren during worship on the first day of the week or during our midweek Bible study or whenever we get back to being able to have gospel meetings or on the phone or uh, through the mail or however uh, many opportunities we have? How many of us check on each other? How many of us, especially during this virus, call one another to check and see uh, whether or not there is a need, whether someone needs groceries or someone needs some help with their uh, telephone bills or heating bills or whatever they need. Love makes us look at others and care for their welfare more than ours such as those we mentioned in Acts who sold off their property to help those in need. Love also causes us uh, to have this attitude that we're not easily provoked. Has anybody ever provoked you, provoked you lately? Maybe a post on Facebook or <clears throat> maybe uh, something they said in class or, or taught in class. Are you easily provoked? Uh, the phrase used there in, in uh, chapter 13 simply means uh, to spur on or to stir up in anger. And there are a lot of people who enjoy doing that. Uh, we like poking fun at, at some people sometimes uh, with a little light humor, but that's not what he's, what he's talking about. He's talking about getting people angry. Love doesn't go around with a chip on its shoulder waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing before I've had my coffee in the morning. Or I've got a chip on my shoulder and I'm just waiting for somebody to say something about my necktie or about why I wasn't here uh, or uh, why I missed the Bible study or am I okay? And people, every time I miss, someone's always calling me. Well, that's not love. Not easily provoked means that we suffer long, as we talked about just a little bit before, still having that. You see how everything in, in love is built on each other and other we suffer along with people uh, that may provoke us uh, without bitterness, uh, not resenting them, not flying off in a rage at something they said or something they did. 
But evidently that was happening here in Corinth. People were being provoked and probably as we read this, uh, after arguments about which gift was greater or uh, who can do uh, exercise their gift when, or, uh, the order of worship and this and that. The idea of looking out for your neighbor, looking out for your brother and your sister is Christ-like. Are we Christians? Well, Christian means Christ-like. Are we easily provoked? Are we self-centered? Are we long-suffering? All of those were attributes of Christ because God is love. These are attributes of God. We are God's children. Shouldn't we look like our Father? Well, love doesn't think evil about people. How many uh, people do you know who it seems keep a running ledger of bad things people have done to them and people who've done bad things to them? We do. Sometimes we do it without thinking. We'll see someone and we'll flash back to, oh, yeah, I remember when they said this to me or I remember when they did that to me. Well, I'm just going to avoid that person. Love doesn't think evil. Did Jesus think evil in his heart at any time? No. He suffered a lot with the Pharisees and with unbelievers, people who listened and heard his word and followed him for a while and then they left him. Thinketh no evil. We don't need to uh, keep this grudge going. For Jesus, when he talked uh, about prayer, and in his Sermon on the Mount, as he talked and gave this model of how to pray, and he taught his disciples how to pray, uh, he said, forgive me of my sins. We're to ask God to forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against him. Well, how does God forgive us? Well, we hope he forgets and doesn't recall it again, especially on Judgment Day. But you know, do we, when we forgive, do we just for the moment say, okay, I'll let it pass, but I'm not going to forget it? Well, uh, in Matthew, the 18th chapter, in verse 15 through 17, Jesus talks about how we're to deal with people who hurt us. <clears throat> if we think that our brother has sinned against us, verse 15, you need to go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. How is that supposed to be? If someone hurts you, tell them about it. Did you ever know someone who didn't know they said something that hurt you? I have lots of times. And people may uh, say a few days later, well, uh, you're kind of quiet towards me or you're not saying much. Is something wrong? How many of us say, well, two days ago you said this and it really hurt? Jesus said you need to do that. I've had people say, oh, I didn't know that hurt or I didn't know that you were offended by that. I'm sorry. And he says, if your brother repents of that and he uh, says he's sorry uh, and he confesses, he said, you've gained your brother. You've got him back. That's love for a brother's well-being. But if he doesn't listen, verse 16, take one or two others along with you that every charge uh, may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses uh, them, if he's hard-hearted and doesn't uh, 
uh, repent then and take it to the church and let the church begin a period of prayer and uh, a teaching and study with the person. And if that if he refuses to listen, then Jesus says in verse 17, uh, let him be as a publican or a tax collector. In other words, even this uh, church discipline of separating the congregation from such a brother who refuses to repent uh, is not the end of matters. We don't set him on uh, <coughs> pardon me. <clears throat> we don't set him on a block of ice and set him out to sea. We separate him from us so that he may be ashamed. That's the reason, because we want him back. We want him to return to us in repentance and gain our brother back. The tenth characteristics. It doesn't rejoice in sin. It doesn't have this great joy at witnessing somebody to fall into sin or to be injured by the consequences that uh, they uh, may receive as a result of their sin. It doesn't stand by waiting for <clears throat> someone who's harmed us, someone who's hurt us to finally get their comeuppance. It doesn't rejoice in that. With love, it mourns. Does our Lord mourn at our sins? Yes, he does. He suffers. He suffers when we sin and we're rebellious to him and we refuse to turn away. He loves us. God is love. And so we too are not to rejoice in seeing our brother fall into sin. We're to bear all things. This idea, uh, excuse me, we're to rejoice in truth, rather. Joy comes from the truth. There is great joy in reading scripture and suddenly come to the reali realization that something you uh, thought was right was wrong. Now, why is that? Why is there joy? Well, for some people, it's stepping on my toes. For other people, it's meddling in my business and you shouldn't be there. But for those who love God and love the brother, we rejoice in truth, in knowing the truth. Those who were prophesying, those who were using knowledge and wisdom were confirming the truth. And whereas the church at Corinth should have been rejoicing, they couldn't rejoice because those spiritual gifts were not being used with love. Love for the brethren, love for God, love for Christ, or the Spirit. We rejoice in watching it spread. I cannot tell you. Yes, I believe God is active in all things and that he's constantly uh, using nature and economy and other things. Uh, to bring judgment upon us and to bring us to repentance. Do I believe that these are signs of the second coming of Christ? No, because we don't know. God is not going to give us a sign. He talks about Christ coming uh, as a thief in the night. No one knows when he's coming except God. But we rejoice in these days of great hardship. 
and in disease and in the fall of economy and stocks and things, we rejoice that the word of God, at least I do, is being spread on so many outlets on the internet. Now, yes, there's a lot of trash. There's a lot of junk food, but I rejoice daily that I can be a part of this, that other brethren are a part of this, and that we're taking the things that the world uses for evil, and God is using us with these things to spread the truth. That wasn't so at Corinth. They were not rejoicing at these gifts as being proper tools to spread joy. They were tools for their own interests. But love bears all things. Just as it's long-suffering, it means to bear up, to sustain. Even though there are a lot of inequities, maybe there's a lot of unfairness in our life. Uh, maybe there are family and friends who are saying disparaging things about us being Christians. But it is teaching us, and love is teaching us, to suffer long and to persevere in our service to Christ, to take what we know and tell of the goodness of God and the goodness of Jesus Christ and the gift of goodness from the Holy Spirit. Love believes all things. Now, what Paul is not saying here is that, well, love's just gullible. You know, a, a young man in love, he'll believe anything, and, and he just goes along because the girl's so pretty, and, and she's so nice to me, and, and everybody thinks we're so good together. No, that's not what he's saying. Love believes the goodness in each other. You see, there's a way, if we truly love one another, that we ought to uh, look at one another, that we ought to look at each other as to the possibilities and the best uh, things in them. Jesus did that in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 as he looked at the churches. He would see the good things that they were doing and his love for them is that they would be complete. He would then say, however, here are some things that you need to work on. With the church at Ephesus, it was love. With the church at Laodicea, it was almost everything. We need to look at people and believe the best about them, to see their potential. If they sing good, we ought to encourage them. If they don't sing good, we ought to encourage them. If they're able to teach a class, we ought to tell them that. We ought to encourage them not to go up and nitpick. Sometimes with the preacher, well, you know, uh, you're a pretty good speaker, but I don't like the, you know, that southern accent just kind of uh, strays things. Or I don't like the example that you use. We see the good in others and we point out good things about them. Not for flattery. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we need to believe the good things and not be so quick. Uh, to tear down our brethren. I don't think that was happening here uh, in Corinth either. As we finish up these characteristics, love hopes all things. We pray for one another and we hope the very best. We hope with them for our uh, final destination. 
the finish of this race and entering into eternity on that great day of judgment if we've been found righteous and faithful. Love hopes in all things. When we evidence that someone has sinned appears to support the charge, love keeps us hoping for the best. Remember the brother we talked about just a few minutes ago that was disfellowship? Again, we hope that that brother or sister is going to see things uh, as he knows or we can teach him the things that he needs to know to come back so we can gain our brother and sister back. We hope by praying, we hope by talking to that person, uh, not necessarily having the same relationship we have, but offering ourselves to be able to study with them, to teach them why their attitude or why their behavior is not acceptable, and to yearn for them, to come back and be a part of who we are, and that is the Bride of Christ. I've heard Christians, when people have been disfellowship, to say goodbye and good riddance. We don't need that kind of person in our assembly. Well, we may not need the sin that caused them to... Uh, depart from us and go back to Satan. Uh, we may not want the sin, but I desperately want people I could mention and who I hope are hearing this uh, word to repent of those things and come back and be restored into the fold of Christ. We need again to continue to believe the best about our brothers and about our sisters. Love endures all things. Endurance is a wonderful thing. You know, Miss Young's had me out uh, digging holes for her trees and digging holes for her plants and working and, and doing these things. And, you know, sometimes I complain, well, I'm getting old. I don't need to be out doing this and cutting the yard and all things. But I endure. Uh, sometimes as Christians, we get that way. Maybe we've been a Christian for X number of years and we say, well, you know, I've done a pretty good job as a Christian. I've, I've given a lot. I attend every service. Uh, I read my Bible once a week. Uh, but how about when people say you're, you're uh, weird? How about people say, uh, when people say, stop talking to me about that religious uh trash. Uh, you know there's no God. Have you seen God? And all these things that the world will say to you. Love will allow you not only to endure all things, but to continue being that light that you were that they hate so much. Jesus said, if, you, if they hate you, they hated me first. And when they don't listen to you, they're not listening to me. When they reject, he said in Luke, uh, what you're teaching, they're rejecting me. And so we need to uh, quickly uh, be a cheerleader for our brethren, for our brothers and sisters, physically, spiritually, lovingly, and endure all things, even those, and especially those in the world, we need to endure their catcalling, uh, their ridicule, you remember our study uh, of the Beatitudes on Facebook Live, some of you. Uh, 
Jesus said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and when they say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And he says we need to be about that. I'm sure with the competition, I'm sure with those uh, selfish intents and uses of the Holy Spirit lacking love, that many did not endure these things. I'm sure some of them left the faith. I'm sure some of them uh, went away to another congregation, maybe we might say. But love endures all things because it has a purpose. It has a purpose to cause you to love God, to love Christ, and to love each other, and to especially love the truth. Finally, we look at Paul's uh, telling us that there is a permanence of love. In all eternity, love is going to remain. The other things, the other spiritual gifts, or excuse me, the spiritual gifts rather, they're going to go away. And in verses 8 through 13, <clears throat> he talks about this uh, duration of uh, the Holy Spirit gifts. Uh, he tells us that we need to endure and we need to uh, remain steadfast. Uh, in this because even after the Holy Spirit gifts are gone, love needs to continue in order to be pleasing to God. Love needs to be present in order to continue the truth and the gospel of God. The superiority, uh, excuse me, the superiority of love is just shown, you know, in those characteristics that we looked at. Uh, the text says, uh, love which will never fail, prophecy that will fail, tongues that shall cease, and knowledge that shall vanish away, tell us love needs to be around, and it's mandatory that it's within us in order to receive the eternal love of God and Christ and the Spirit. These things which they're using for acts of show, these things they're acting <clears throat> as if they are more important than they are. These things that are uh, destroying souls are going to vanish away because they're not being used to, uh, with love for the brethren. Uh, some of those brethren are going to vanish away and they're going to see Christianity as being something that's just a competition. Something that's just for the haves and the have, not for the have-nots. And I think that's a, that's a difficult thing for us to understand taking place in a church. But you see, there was no restraint there. There was no restraint on sin, on sexual immorality, on the abuse of love, the abuse of teaching, uh, the abuse of truth, all of those things. And now they had been given these powerful wonderful blessings from God to encourage their brethren, to lift them up, to confirm the truth, to confirm uh, God's love of them. But they had no love themselves, and as a result, that which is good became evil. Paul lived at this age where spiritual gifts were given here during the latter part of the first century. And they were uh, used for, of course, as we said, uh, confirming the gospel, 
But Paul here is saying they're going to go away when that which is perfect is come. And there's been a lot of discussion as, as to what is when the perfect one comes. And of course, people have said, well, uh, that's until Christ comes in the second coming. When he returns, then uh, the spiritual gifts will go away. There haven't been spiritual gifts being performed or needed since the beginning of the second century when they went away, when that, was con uh, when that which was perfect. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the gospel of Christ, the Old Testament pointing to the coming of Christ, the New Testament pointing back uh, to the prophecies of the coming of Christ, testimony that, yes, Christ did come in the flesh, testimony that, yes, he did die in the flesh, testimony that he was buried, testimony that he did rise from the grave, testimony that he was seen of thousands after his resurrections, Rection, testimony that Jesus Christ spent 40 days on the earth, testimony in the flesh, testimony that he rose from the earth and ascended to heaven to sit on the throne where he rules today. That's been confirmed. It was confirmed a long time ago. And now we have the testimony in total. There's no need for the spiritual gifts. Are there reasons to make sure we are studying the correct scripture? Yes, because some people have written things they call uh, translations, which are simply paraphrasing. There are those who have written books separate from the Bible. They claim to be new and divine revelations. There are those who have written a Bible, the New World Bible, which is not a translation, could not be a translation because none of the six writers had any background, any training in language, any training in soci sociology, any training in archaeology, or any other matter that translators uh, must understand and be proficient in in order to translate Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, some Chaldean, they couldn't do it. They simply paraphrased for their own doctrine, for their own doctrine of men, words that go along with what they say. And so when we look at what is perfect, he's not talking about the coming of Christ. Much is being written today in the troubles we have with the economy and with uh, sicknesses and with wars and rumors of war. Jesus said, you're not going to know when I come. Even I don't know when I'm coming. But when Jesus does come, he's going to come as a thief in the night with no forewarning. Does a, does a thief leave a note on your door and say, uh, I'm coming Friday evening uh, about two in the morning, if that's okay, and I'll be taking all of your things. No comes when you least expect it. Well, what about all these signs we're seeing from Revelation? All of those signs from Revelation have already come to pass on the Roman Empire. Those signs also came to pass on the destruction of Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, and Greece. Well, what are those signs? Those signs are the coming judgment of God, the call to repentance. God only knows, only the Father knows when Christ will return. And there's not going to be an inkling of forewarning at all when Christ comes. 
And so what we're talking about here <coughs> is that which is perfect, the word of God, that which is perfect, the pattern for the church, that which is perfect, the testimony of Jesus, the words that will be judged by. What is perfect? The church, the bride of Christ. We have it. Hopefully it's in your hands this morning, studying as we go along and as we come to a close, understanding that we have all that we need to know. There is no new revelation coming. There is no, uh, no thing in the Old Testament we're to cling to for salvation. And so I want us to look uh, at this chart, which will help us to understand, uh, perhaps, is that when Paul wrote his letter, it was after the writing of Mark 16 and verse 17, uh, when Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. And he talks about uh, the Holy Spirit gifts that would be given. They were given on the day of Pentecost uh, to the apostles. And then the apostles uh, bestowed those gifts uh, on those uh, whom they determined uh, to be worthy of receiving them, the Holy Spirit as well, and uh, entrusted them to those uh, to whom it would, he would. Uh, but after Paul's letter, he says that these uh, things that you hold up in high regard, speaking in foreign languages, uh, prophecy and teaching uh, and knowledge, and all the rest of the gifts are going to vanish away. Well, when are they going to vanish away? He says, when the revelation is completed, when the word of God, the gospel of Christ, is preached in all the world, when it's confirmed with these signs, when it's confirmed through teaching, uh, and it has been, then the supernatural gifts are going to cease to exist. The will of God will have been completed. When we look at this uh, list here, I want you to look at the three columns. The first column is things existing now in what Paul calls the in part period. They knew in part, and there was prophecy in part. Uh, but these things existed, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, prophecy, tongues, uh, words of knowledge, uh, faith, hope, and love, which he talks about. Yes, uh, they had faith. Uh, they had hope, they had love, those who heard the word and obeyed uh, and faithfully and obediently went into baptism and came up, beginning to live this new life, uh, had all of these uh, things, uh, not, not all of them, the last three, faith, hope, and hopefully love, some did, some didn't, but those who had these gifts of prophecy, they had them, but they were going to go away, they would fail, they would cease. They would vanish away. That, that gives uh, no credence to any sort of longevity of these things. Even faith. Faith would abide long after Paul uh, put the finishing touches on this letter and the next one. And it abides today. Hope abides. Hopefully, <coughs> our faith brought us here to this uh, class period that we would learn something and that we would uh, increase our strength and increase, increase our faith. And we do that until we take our last breath. We work on both of those. And we also work on love and it abides in a Christian who is truly loving of Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Spirit, 
We love, and it ought to be evident. But now, when the perfect has come, that is the fulfillment of God's will, <coughs> these spiritual gifts are not going to exist. But faith, hope, and love will. The faith is going to remain. We have to have a working faith in order to be saved. That faith has to produce a living and working hope in us that we center God, Christ, and the Spirit in our lives, that they live with us and we in them. And in order to do that, we have to have love. So as uh, I hope you'll go back and look at this chart and, and understand that we are living in this period of time that Paul was talking about where we do have faith, we do have love, and we do have hope. That's what we're working for. But we must be working for it in love, resembling our Father. We can't do it alone. And we have everything we need to do that. It is perfect. Those who are coming that proclaim to uh, have Holy Spirit gifts, those speakers of tongues, which if you listen closely, if you were to record those and slow them down, they're nothing but repeated gibberish. The second thing that's wrong with that is there's no interpreter. As Paul said, there needs to be, if you're going to speak in tongues, somebody needs to tell everybody that doesn't speak that what you're saying, and they never have one. We need to know if they're from God. We need to listen closely. Holy Spirit gifts have ceased. And just as God warned those of his people in Deuteronomy, we need to listen and we need to test the spirits, as John also said, and listen to them as to what they preach. When everything was completed, Holy Spirit gifts were removed. But what remains in this Christian era, era is faith, hope, and love. As Paul closes in verse 13, this wonderful uh, passage, which is a, a very important part of chapters 12 and 14, he says love is superior both to faith and hope because it's going to endure throughout eternity. Our faith will disappear once Jesus Christ returns to take us home with him not on the earth, but into that place that has been prepared. Because all of the things that we had faith, not being able to see, those things that we saw through a glass darkly, now we're going to see clearly and completely. Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior, won't that be a great day? And our hope, there's no more reason to hope in Christ that he will come and take us home because that's what he's going to do. One day when man doesn't know, there is no such thing as a rapture. There is no such thing as a thousand year reign. There is no such uh, passage that ever mentions in scripture, Jesus Christ setting his foot on the earth at any time again. And so our hope, there's no need for that hope because it's been fulfilled. The only thing that will be left will be the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the Holy Spirit, and all of the heavenly beings, because we've endured 
we've been patient. We've esteemed one another more highly. We have not thought within ourselves, but looked out for the welfare of others because we have remained steadfast in love for God, the Son, the Spirit, and the Father, and our brethren, his word, and the church. May God bless each of you to growing in love. May God bless me as to be an example and to each of us be an example of loving one another. We all hope to see one another in heaven. We can only do that if we hold on to each other, to look for the best in each other, and to encourage one another when we're tired, when we're weary, when we're sick, physically and spiritually. Won't it be a great day when our Lord comes? I hope to see you there in that cloud as Jesus comes and we all go to meet him in the air. I long for that day and I long for you to be with us. In Christ's name, I humbly bless you and thank you and encourage you to maintain the course, maintain the race and run with the word of God in your heart. God willing, we'll see you next week. God bless.